I want you to think about the most prized possession that you own outside of your salvation. Maybe it's a family heirloom that's been passed on for years. I know with me, I had a pipe that was my dad's. And I always would keep it on a shelf, and I could pick it up and smell the tobacco he used to smoke when I was a kid. And it was fine until one day one of my kids decided to blow bubbles with it, you know what I mean? <laughs> now all I smell is detergent or something. I don't know what it is, but... Maybe yours is an heirloom, an antique that's been passed on for generations and you have it a designated spot in your house. My wife only collects one antique. And she says that's enough for her. Your most prized possession. Now what I want you to do is never forget what I'm about to tell you in the next couple minutes. Because I'm going to share with you what your most prized possession is. Don't ever forget this the rest of your life. Because your most prized possession that you own is your influence for Christ. God has trusted you with his saving message and touching the world for him each and every day. And it's so very, very important that we realize that we have this privilege so we can go about our daily lives doing everything we can, reaching everyone we can for him. Your influence is by far the most prized possession that you own because with it you can change the eternal destiny of the people you come in contact with, can't you? By turning them on to the Lord who means so much to each and every one of us. As we consider our influence this morning, I want everyone to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to go into the epistle of 1 Peter this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. I think this is exactly what Peter had in mind as he penned these words many years ago under the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would understand the importance of our influence. Notice, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your souls. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Let's pray. Father God, we're not quite sure why sometimes that you decide to make us your spokesman. But Lord, help us to understand today that if the word is going to get out, if lives are going to be touched, if people in the last days in which we live are going to be reached, we have to be people of influence for you. So may the words that you share with us from First Peter today always remain on our hearts and minds from this day forward, the rest of our lives. For it's in your Son's name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. 83% of the people in this country no longer go to church on a regular basis. 83%. For some time now, we've been losing the battle of keeping people in church. This makes no sense because churches are offering more things now than ever before to serve people, aren't they? Many offer youth ministries, support groups, clothing giveaways, food ministries. Still, people are losing interest in the church. Why? Why? 
Well, I think in this passage of Scripture, we find out why. Churches don't reach people. People reach people. Programs don't reach people. People reach people. Giveaways, as much as I'm for them, don't reach people. People reach people. Why? Only people have influence. Only people can show them the Jesus in us. The Jesus that wants to be a part of their lives. Peter understood this. The New Testament church understood this. And it's time that we all understand it. People don't come to our church because of programs. Now don't get me wrong, I'm off for Awana. I'm off for the fifth quarters and trunk or treat and all the things that we do. Clothing distributions are necessary and the trunk or treat ministry introduces people to our church. I'm off for programs, but listen to me. People don't come to this church because of programs. They come because of you and they come because of me. We understand that this morning. Because I hear people saying all the time, well, if we just offered this, if we just did that, if we would just fine-tune a little bit of this, we can get more people in the church. The only way we're going to get people in this church is if every single one of us takes seriously reaching them for Christ. That's the only way it's going to happen. It won't happen because of a program. It'll happen when we understand we have the influence that God wants us to use to reach them for Him. Because it's our lives that bring others to Him, notice what Peter says. Abstain, keep yourself from sinful desires which wage war against your souls. Now Peter reminds us of something that every single one of us knows to be true. Satan will throw every sinful thing in your path to keep you from walking with God each and every day. We all know that. We're in a battle, and a battle for our souls. The Bible says we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. From the day you got baptized to the day you die, Satan is going to try to rob you of your salvation if you let him. Now, I like the way the Hebrew writer warns us about staying spiritually fit. Because if our influence is going to mean anything at all, we have to be on our spiritual toes, don't we? And notice what he says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay close, careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that we don't drift away. 83% of the people in this country are drifting away. Chapter 3, verse 1. Holy brothers and sisters, you share this heavenly calling. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Don't let this world distract you. Don't let these things of sin become a part of your life. Fix your thoughts, he says, on him. Then he goes on to say in chapter 4, verse 1, Since entering the promise of his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you have been found to fall short of it. Wouldn't it be sad to walk with the Lord for 20 and 30 and 40 years? only to fall into sin and fall short. Oh, every one of us need to stay spiritually fit. That's why he said abstain. Abstain from simple desires. Now, I don't think it's just our souls that Peter had in mind here. 
Because if we read the rest of this passage, he has a bigger audience in mind, doesn't he? He's not just concerned about our souls as important as they are. He's also concerned about our influence, isn't he? Because isn't it interesting, you can spend a lifetime working alongside of a person. You can spend a lifetime in a neighborhood with a person. You can spend a lifetime going through school with your classmates. And all it takes is one stupid thing that you do, one coarse word that you say, one night in a sinful activity, and your influence is shot, isn't it? It's shot. All of a sudden, instead of trying to influence them, they're looking at you and, I thought you had something. What happened? I thought you knew someone. What happened? I thought you understood something. What happened? What happened? If we fall in sin for any reason and for any period of time, whatever impression we have made on the lost can be shot, can it? It can be shot. If we give in to sin, we not only put our souls in jeopardy, we put the souls of everyone who God has given us to touch into jeopardy, don't we? You see why it's so important that we say spiritually fit? Not only for ourselves, but for all the little eyes in our homes that are watching us. For all those eyes in the world that are always upon us. Now, we don't think that they notice. Oh, but listen to me, folks. People notice. So, parents, I want you to look in the mirror. Are you happy with the Christian that you're becoming? Because that's probably going to be the Christian that your young people is going to be. Young people, I want you to think about how you treat the other young people at school. Because that's what they think about Jesus and you, how you treat them. Many years ago, I had a chance to work at a place called Sharon Manufacturing in the summer. Big bucks. Big plant. So glad to get there because I needed some money for college. And as soon as I hit the ground and found out what my job was, of course I tried working a crowd. Who was lost? Who was saved? Who used to go to church? Who didn't go to church? And I tried to work the crowd the best I could. And this was the coldest place I ever worked in my life. The minute you talked about Jesus, you'd get this. The minute you brought up church, they changed the conversation. It was so cold in that plant, I thought to myself, what in the world is going on here? Then a co-worker came up to me and said, I think it's time you understand something. I said, what's that? Reverend Ray. Reverend who? Reverend Ray. Reverend Ray used to preach in this plant. He worked one end to the other. Told everybody what they was doing right or what they was doing wrong and how they had to do this and how they had to do that. And every night after work, he was right at the bar with the rest of them. Buying shots, drinking shots, having a good time. Because of Reverend Ray, even years later, nobody wanted to hear it. Nobody wanted to hear it. Listen to me, folks. We cannot afford to be off our spiritual toes for one second. Use your influence wisely. We have no time to waste in sin. We need to walk to walk so when the time comes, we can talk to talk. You know what I'm saying? Because we are in a war, and the only weapon we have is not programs. 
That's not a church building. That's not all the things that we do, as glorious as they are. The only weapon we have is our influence. Don't ever forget that. It's the Jesus in you that will bring them here. We had the special prayer service on Friday. And the one thing I think it was Josh that brought to our attention or came out during that night was the living Bible. The living Bible. You're the living Bible in this community. You're the living Bible. You are the Bible that they read each and every day. Because we have this influence, we can literally turn people on and off by what we say and do. I think we all know that. So Peter goes on to say in verse 12, live such good lives. Did you see that? Live such good lives. And the Greeks had two words for for good. They had agathos, which meant good in character, like a good judge. Or they had the word kalos, which meant well adapted to circumstances. A good person is someone who has their life together and is adapted to the circumstances in which they live. Now, if you stop and think about it, all of us bring four things into each new day that we live. Write these down and remember them because it's true. Your thoughts, your words, your attitudes, and your actions. All four of these, Peter says, have to be good and beneficial if you're going to exert a proper influence for Christ. I recently read an article that revealed the importance of being or living good lives. It talked about how people approach their work every day. So all of you that are still working, think about this just for a moment. Some of it approach it like a job, a way of paying the bills. Now you know who you are because your theme of your life is, I owe, I owe, so off the work I go. <laughs> okay? That's why we let Josh do the singing. Okay? <laughs> I owe, I owe, so off the work I go. It's a job. It's something I have to do. I've got to pay the bills. Now some people treat their job like a career. I'm climbing up. One of these days, I'm going to be the CEO of my company. It's a, way, it's a means to an end. But very few people treat their job like a calling. This is where Jesus put me. Right here. I'm where he wants me to be right now. For this moment in time, so I can touch as many lives as I can for him. Now think about last week. Now I know there's days the job is the job. We show up and we just get through the day. And I know sometimes when there's the promotions in sight, we can't help but think, boy, I would like that promotion because that means I can get a little extra money to, for college, for my kids, and, and I could do well. But I want you to think about your life, your job, your school, wherever you are, every day, all day, as a calling, a calling, first and foremost. It's a calling. I studied this word, calling. Did you know that it appears over a hundred times in the New Testament? It's as if God was trying to get this out of our minds, get our minds off this thing. It's just the things I do. No, it's not just the things you do. You are called, called to live in Andover and the surrounding area at this point in time. You were called to be here. You were called to be a part of what God is doing here. Whether you're at school, whether you're at work, whether you're at Sparkle, at the post office, wherever you go in a given day, you're still called for one reason and one very important reason. And that is to touch 
as many lives as you can for Christ. Because of this calling, Peter says, make a good impression. Live a good life. Do you understand where he's going with this? Now let me ask you a question. What good did you do this last week? Did your thoughts, did your words, and your attitudes and actions leave the right impression on the people around you? Remember, churches don't reach people. Programs don't reach people. All the other things we do here don't reach people. You reach people. Amen? Are you still with me? Do you think we got that point hammered down here? I hope we do. I think we got that point hammered down, don't we? We reach people. And the way you think about your coworkers is going to determine whether or not you can reach them. The way you think about your classmates is going to determine whether or not you can reach them. The things that you say, the things, your attitude in which you do things, and the actions in which you do them all communicate to them. That's why it all has to be good. I think Paul reminds us of something that we need to tell ourselves on occasion, and it's found in Romans chapter 12. This is about the importance of our influence and living a good life for Christ. And notice how he says in verses 17 and 18, do not repay evil for evil. Now, I think we got that down. I don't think any of us is going to do anything evil. At least I hope not. Okay? I hope not. But the rest of this is kind of tough. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Tough verse, isn't it? Careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. I don't know how many times... It's come out of my mouth, and I've heard other people say, I don't care what people think of me. I don't care what people think. You need to care. You need to care. Because when we get careless about the way people think about us, the cause of Christ suffers, folks. It suffers. We need to care what people think. We need to care so much that we would cross the street before we would upset somebody. And then he goes on to say, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Tough verse, isn't it? Live at peace with those around us. Some of us need to get over ourselves. Somebody hurt you a while ago, and you still hold a grudge. I've even heard people say, well, you can sit on this side of the church if you can't get along with someone on that side of the church. Well, you can go to first service if you don't like someone in second service. Let's get over it, folks. Let's get over it. This is the cause of Christ we're talking about here. As far as it depends on you, you shouldn't have an enemy in this world. Not one enemy. Because every one of them is a precious soul in the sight of God, aren't they? Children that he died for. As far as it depends on you, hold no grudges, keep no scores, and if necessary, bury the hatchet and the handle, okay? And the handle. Because your influence depends on it, doesn't it? And then there's one last thing, Peter said. It's already 9 o'clock. Is it all right if I finish this sermon? Is everybody all right with Okay, good. I was going to anyways. I just... Okay. He wants to give this, his audience a heads up here. Basically, understand this. Not everybody's going to appreciate your influence, are they? Not everyone's going to appreciate it. 
And I like the way Peter says this in this passage of Scripture. And I want you to pay very close attention to what I'm about to read here. Live such good lives among the pagans that, they, that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of his. Now, there's two they's in that verse, isn't there? There's they that will accuse you. If you try to do what is right, have a good influence on people, some people are going to accuse you of trying to get in with the boss. Some, some kids will say you're trying to get in good with the teacher. They will accuse you of wrong motives. They will accuse you of all kinds of things. That's they number one group. But the they number two group in that verse who realize what you're really doing is living for the Lord. They who are still receptive, they of that 83% who haven't been completely turned off yet, their eyes can be open and they can see their need for Christ. And isn't that what it's all about? So what I want to tell you is when you get criticized, don't let they, number one group, put a bushel over your light. Don't let that group bother you. I remember getting a phone call a while back. A young man took his faith seriously at the high school. So seriously, he was telling all the young people in the church, you should be coming to youth group. He was telling all the other young people at school, you should find a church. He was praying before he ate his food. He was creating such a ruckus at the high school, they weren't really sure what to do with him. So the principal called his mother and said, shut him up. Shut him up. We're tired of all this ruckus going on in the cafeteria. So his mother called me. What are you teaching these kids at the end of a Christian church? You know how aggressive this kid is being about his faith? You need to tell him to tone it down a little bit. At least keep it in the church, if nothing else. I said to her, dear lady, you know how great it is to have a son that will stand for Christ, who doesn't care what the rest of his peers think, who cares more about what his father thinks. You know how blessed you are to have a young person like that? And I get this long sigh and pause on the end of the phone. Thank you. Click. You're going to be criticized if you stand for Christ. There'll be young people who won't like you, but there'll be other young people that will admire you, young people. There'll be adults at work that won't like you, but there'll be other adults that says, you know what, I gave up on church a while ago, but I see it alive in this person, and I want what they have. Because I see where my life is going, and I have no hope. So don't worry about group number one. Influence group number two. Now, I'm going to end with this passage of Scripture found in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9. Paul says, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. Now here's what I think. We've been adopted into God's family, filled with His precious Spirit, made heirs of his kingdom. There is no one blessed more than us, folks. No one. But I also think we've been blessed for a purpose. So we can take the same love that we've experienced and share it with the world that so desperately needs it. You have great influence. Don't underestimate what God can do in and through your life as you live your life for him each day.
Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, as we prepare for invitation, simply says this. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they can be as wool. Maybe there's someone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Listen to God's reasoning. Give me your life, as imperfect as it may be, and I will wipe it as clean as the fallen snow. Place my spirit within you and give you a whole new life, far more glorious than you can ever imagine. If you need the Lord this morning, as we stand and sing, will you come?